good morning, brothers. Good morning. Good to see y'all today. Glad y'all are here. Um, looking forward to our time together tonight. It's, this morning, my goodness, it's already going to be one of those days, I guess. Um, Psalm 139. That's how we're going to begin this morning. And, you know, we're going to kind of continue to make this argument uh, that David uh, seems to lose his way in his relationships. You know, you have this massive failure in a relationship or multiple relationships uh, that he's had around the whole uh, incident with Bathsheba and the multiple relationships that were just uh, destroyed, in essence, uh, through that. And you, you don't deal with those things. You're bound to repeat them, and then those that you influence are going to repeat them. And so... We find ourselves in those sorts of situations, right? We make mistakes, and we hope that we can escape the consequences of those mistakes. But really, the best thing that we can do is to stop and take a deep breath and just, what's going on, God? What, 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 what happened here with me uh, that led to these choices, right? And so it's like we want David to be his best self. And often the Psalms kind of paint that picture of David's best self. And it's like when you read these stories in Second Samuel, it's like, David, just pray Psalm 139 here, and I think you'll move in a better direction. And so that's the invitation to us, that when we find ourselves in similar situations, to actually go and not just pray it, but live it. So I'm not going to pray through all of Psalm 139, but boy, this is a, a definitely a psalm for the new year uh, as we take stock of our lives and how God wants us to move forward through this new year. It's beautiful. Psalm 139. You have searched to me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Excuse me, we're going to take a look at 2 Samuel 13. Continuing our story of the mess David's kids are in the mess he's in. And always, I think it's a great reality check. 
If you were just making up a story about the founder of your kingdom, about your great hero king, you would just write the Psalms. You would just tell these great spiritual stories. And yet the Bible is so different than anything else that was written at the time, and I think anything else today. God doesn't just tell us the sweet and nice. He gets into this horrible story about a brother raping a stepsister or a half-sister and then the family dynamics. I mean, stuff that you wouldn't tell anybody about if that happened to your family. And yet here it is immortalized in Scripture for for all time. I, I firmly believe we fool ourselves a lot of times. We think that God loves who we pretend to be, and that's not true. God loves who we really are, as flawed and messed up as that can be. And as you'll see, David is, is pretty flawed here. So let me pick up just a little bit from last week. Second uh, Samuel 13, um, we can pick up in verse 21. So the rape has occurred. Amnon has raped Tamar. Absalom is the brother of Tamar. So we've just got a little of that family dynamics. When King David heard what had happened, he was very angry. And though Absalom never spoke to Amnon about it, he hated Amnon deeply because of what he'd done to his sister. And so the dynamics for destruction are set, and the silence here is deafening. David is very angry and does nothing. (coughs) I mean, you guys are really no David now. Is David a passive person? I mean, has he just been, oh, let it happen? He's not. If anything, he's a little impulsive, right? So nobody would fight Goliath that day. Everybody was sitting back. And what did young David do? You're all a bunch of cowards. I'll do it. Get, give me. Let's go. And here, nothing. This is bad, David. This is rot in your house. Look at verse 23. Two years later. <laughs> Two years no conversations, no, hey, let's work this out. Let's, let's solve it. Let me dispense some justice. Let me take care of Tamar. Let me do something, but nothing. Nothing for two years. Do family problems get better the longer we ignore them? <laughs> Sure they do, right? I, I have a good friend. He's an he's a ER doctor in El Paso. And let me say, an ER doctor in El Paso has seen it all, baby. <laughs> There's nothing. Stuff coming up from Mexico, stuff coming out of Fort Bliss, just crazy stuff in El Paso. And uh, his great saying is, every family is crazy. If you don't think it, you don't know that family. I mean, he's seen it all. And so poor David here, uh, his family is crazy, and he's ignoring it, and it's, it's, it's just festering. So two years later, 
When Absalom's sheep were being sheared at Baal Hazor, near Ephraim, Absalom invited all the king's sons to come to a feast. He went to the king and said, My sheep shearers are now at work. Would the king and his servants please come to celebrate the occasion with me? The king replied, No, my son, if we all came, we would be too much of a burden on you. Absalom pressed him, but the king wouldn't come, though he sent his thanks. So a little bit of their culture, uh, when you uh, have the sheep shearing, it's a time for a party. I mean, it's when you get paid, right? It's when, like you're a farmer, you finally get your paycheck. I mean, it's, it's a big celebration. So uh, we've worked hard to take care of these miserable sheep, and uh, we're, we're going to get our, our money out of it. So it's, it's party time. But what kind of relationship does David have with Absalom? Hey, Dad, will you come over for Christmas? Oh, no, no. We don't want to make that too much of a burden for you and your family. Uh, you guys go ahead and have Christmas without us. Is that a good, good relationship? <laughs> it is for Kurt, yeah. <laughs> Stay away. <laughs> so... The white elephant's in the room, right? We all know what happened. We're not talking about what happened. We're not talking about that dad wasn't a dad. He wasn't a king. Now, to be sure, in this story, Absalom, uh, others are going to make their own choices. David is not just the only one at fault here. But he was uniquely equipped by God to talk to his kids, to help his kids make different choices. If there's anything David knows, right, it's falling in love with the wrong woman or lust and uncontrollable violence. <laughs> I mean, that's like on David's business card. Lady lover, <laughs> assassin. <laughs> I got it, you know. He's, he, he's there. And this is exactly what his kids are doing. So... Why do you think David is hesitant to go see Absalom? I mean, really. Doesn't want to deal with it. But also, I wonder if he is pushing aside his other sons. I guess you have Solomon as an You know, I, I think you really could be right in, in a lot of that. That he, he really does prefer uh, Solomon. Um, so growing up as David's son and hearing all the stories about how daddy took care of this guy and that, can you imagine how his kids know how to solve problems if they figure out yeah we want Solomon oh okay you know Solomon let's go walk down these staircases a couple times together yeah it's gonna get it's going to get violent. Uh, I want y'all to, to pay attention to what Brent just did. Uh, he probably doesn't even realize it. But it's really, it's really important when we're reading Scripture that we do what he just did. What story that, he would have already, that, that Brent would have already read in the Bible alluded to exactly what he said? Come on. Jacob and Joseph. And what did that? What and so you're you're carrying that, and, and the and these stories are meant to be read together. 
They're not to, they're not in isolation. They're meant to be read together. And what kind of what kind of family dynamics were going on in Jacob's family? Horrible. Because there was a preference for one. That's supposed to get your attention, right? And so is, and not that these are two, the same stories, but I think what Brent has done is like, do you, is, that, is what happened in Jacob's life, in his family, what's brewing underneath here? And just to ask the question, which you've done, good job. Well, I also kind of wonder if David is a little hesitant to get involved because of what he did with Bathsheba. Oh, you know, that's what shame does, Kurt, right? Shame says, I don't belong. I don't, I, I am not, I, I, man, look what I did. I can't say anything on contraire. We can say something because we have been there, right? But you have to, and, and, and that's where you, you, you always have to take these net, you know, would anybody say that shame is positive? No, no. But in the economy of the kingdom of God, it can be. When we see, when we start feeling shame, that indicates to us that there is something that we need to push through. It becomes a signal to us that, no, I do belong. And my story belongs because God is rewriting the story. He is redeeming that which is broken and lost and hurtful. And I need to push through. Now, David takes that philosophy and the trajectory of the rest of the book of 2 Samuel is a different different story. Right? So. Well, the worst is yet to come. Look at verse 26. So David has turned Absalom down from coming to the sheep shearer or the Christmas. Well, then Absalom said, if you can't come, how about sending my brother Amnon instead? Absalom. Yeah, Amnon. Yeah. Yeah. So Absalom said, if you can't come, how about sending my brother Amnon instead? Why? Amnon, the king asked. But Absalom kept on pressing the king until he finally agreed to let all his sons, including Amnon, come. So what just happened here? The stage is set. The stage is set. And I think Absalom just pulled a David. Did he ever really expect his dad to come? Probably not. Probably didn't want him to come. But uh, um, I haven't seen my brother in two years. Oh, I love him. Oh, just, just good times to catch up together. Hey, can he come? How very much like David is this? Remember, David always flanks, always has the oblique approach. David doesn't just confront head on. He faced Goliath with a sling. He comes around from the side. And so his son Absalom has sure learned this. Don't really want you to come, Dad, but I sure would like to see my brother. 
And again, David, who is no innocent dove here, I think he knows. Certainly. That question, why him? Yep. Why him? Ooh, well, I'd just like to see him. But Absalom kept on pressing the king until he finally agreed. So again, like Brent said, David just doesn't want to mess with it. I don't have to go. I don't have to deal with it. You kids figure it out. And again, much like his dad in verse 28, we've got a plan. Absalom told his men, wait until Amnon gets drunk. Then at my signal, kill him. Don't be afraid. I'm the one who was given the command. Take courage and do it. So at Absalom's signal, they murdered Amnon. Then the other sons of the king jumped on their mules and fled. <laughs> Which is a little funny because, you know, how do you get away quickly? Come on, baby, go! <laughs> mules don't do anything fast <laughs> at all. So, but, you know, I make light of it. This is terrible. I mean, I know you've had some bad Christmases, but nobody's got shot, right? <laughs> Nobody got killed over Turkey. Um, but again, does Absalom do the killing himself? No. Has his men do it? Who does that sound like? David. Exactly. Kids learn what we teach them, even when we don't sometimes intend to teach them. Uh, Absalom is a, a chip off the old block here. He has this oblique approach. He uses surrogates to do the killing. It's bad. It's as bad as it gets. Verse 30. <laughs> as they were on the way back to Jerusalem with this speed mule, right? And, you know, the, the historian in me thinks this stuff is important. This still tells you the relative economic position of Judah, of Israel. They're, they're still relatively a poor kingdom. Um, you'll see a chariot a little bit later, but for the most part, they don't have horses. They're, they're a... They're a second-rate power. You know, <laughs> uh, when the princes are riding mules, you're pretty poor. You know, when the king shows up in a Hugo, <laughs> your, your nation is not, not top of the, the heap. But it is, it is what it is. Camels and horses would have been premium, but we're, we're, not, we're not there. <laughs> um, on the way back... To Jerusalem, the report reached David, Absalom has killed all of your sons. No one is left alive. The king jumped up, tore his robes, fell prostrate on the ground. His advisors also told, tore their clothes in horror and sorrow. So again, I think David feared this. Uh, he goes into mourning, so ripping your clothes. As always, try to remind folks... What you eat, what you wear, what you ride are the greatest indicators of your wealth in, in the biblical world. So to tear your clothes is a great sign of, of mourning. I mean, I'm sure David has several sets of clothes, not like we would today, uh, but average person would only have one. So David is realizing what he feared is happening. So he goes into mourning, but again, 
He doesn't raise his troops, get his bodyguard battalion, and rush out there to try to save what sons he can. He doesn't go, I've got to arrest Absalom, I've got to stop this. Uh, He, again, is very, very passive. And I think Kurt and and Steve are right. It's it's this sense of shame, this... I don't want to repeat that story. I don't I don't want to be who I am in life. So, let me do something dumb, but please take this as um my my true bond with you guys, my my true love uh, for you guys. Here we are talking about all this. But do we really talk about it? So recently I had to have two conversations some of the hardest conversations I've ever had in my life. My mom um, had MS from when I was very young, uh, multiple sclerosis, and she was uh, she was greatly affected by it. Physically, it, it, it crippled her. Mentally, it greatly affected her. And it, it put a great strain on the marriage from mom and dad. But from a very early age in my life, um, my dad, not really having a wife, started having affairs. And uh, it, it was bad. Um, I discovered this as a young man, um, and it, it devastated me. Um, just it, to this day, it's still a, a, a great contention between my dad and I. So, um, the hardest conversation I had with my dad was about this and how I felt and what happened and what it did to us. The second conversation I had to have was with my son about this and about why I have the kind of marriage that I do and how I don't want it to carry on uh, for Jason. I mean, this is what happened. This is the consequences. Again, you think this stuff doesn't come out. You know, one of my dad's uh, paramours was a teacher of mine in high school. You think your high school sucked? Let me tell you something. It's horrible. But God is in that place. He's not in me pretending I'm a perfect pastor and I came from a perfect family and nothing ever happened. So there's me trying to follow what David David has really said. Is it perfect now? No. But we don't ignore it anymore. And I've done my damnedest to not have this be repeated for my son. So... There it is. Uh, You know more about me than most people. So this is the reason I think David's story is here. So then that kind of stuff happens. We don't just pretend it. I've asked God for forgiveness. It's over. But it's not. It's not over. So verse 32 Just then, Jonadab, the son of David's brother Shammai, arrived and said, No, no, not all of your sons have been killed. It was only Amnon. Absalom has been plotting this ever since Amnon... Absalom has been plotting this ever since Amnon raped his sister Tamar. 
No, your sons aren't all dead. It was only Amnon. Meanwhile, Absalom escaped. Then the watchmen on Jerusalem's walls saw a great crowd coming towards the city from the west. He ran to tell the king, I see a crowd of people coming from Horiam uh, along the side of the hill. Look, Jonadab told the king, they are here now. Your sons are coming, just as I said. They soon arrived, weeping and sobbing, and the king and his officials wept bitterly. And David mourned many days for his son Amnon. Absalom fled to his grandfather Talmai, son of Amihud, king of Geshur, and stayed there for three years. <coughs> All right, so does David go after Absalom? Nope. Um, Geshur is just a bump in the road. It's a uh, another like nomad kingdom. David could have very quickly just sent Joab and arrested the whole group and brought Absalom home. So for counting five years, he has not talked to his son. His son has murdered somebody. And you would think, this is the unforgivable sin. You've murdered somebody in cold blood. You planned, you set up your men, you've done this. Who can talk about murdering somebody? I mean, David's got a PhD in it. He really does. And, and not just for gaining the power of the kingdom, but, you know, I killed Uriah because I wanted his wife. It was a horrible moment, son. Let me, you, let you and I sit down and let me share my heart from the Psalms of what I really, really want to be. Let me share this other side of me with you, um, Absalom. But no. You know who has to reconcile the two to be the family counselor? Joab. <laughs> His cousin is the assassin. <laughs> so when your family problems are so bad, your cousin Luigi, <laughs> that keeps the machine gun in the back seat, has to say, hey, let's work on our family dynamics, David. <laughs> it's bad. It's bad, bad, bad. So you're festering an enemy in your own son. Five years. And David, have you ever taken care of your daughter? Where is she? What have you done? Have you moved her into the palace? Have you provided for her? Have you tried to find a husband for her? I mean, as strange as that sounds, that's what they needed to do. And it's just this cancer that's getting worse and worse. So are we, I don't want to say if we're good, but this well, is a hard lesson. I think one of these things, I think in a situation like this that I know there's probably 20 different scenarios that may be spinning through your heads of things that you're dealing with and you don't even know how to start. Because it's so scary and you're afraid that you're just going to get hurt again. Right? And so I, I would encourage you that if you've got a, a good trusted friend, just to bounce it off of them. 
that friend is going to need to be somebody that that can can courageously keep pointing you in the direction of you doing your part. And just always remember that. When you're, when, when you're trying to reconcile, when you're trying to, to, to make right things that have gone south in the past, it's always, all you can do is what you can do. You should adopt a phrase uh, for the new year. I will do what I can do, but I'm going to surrender the outcomes to God. Surrender the outcomes. And I believe that that can help you get off of high center. Kurt and I will be glad to be that ear for you if you've got a situation that's, that's going on. And uh, we may not have all the answers, but we can give you something to get you started. How's that? Yep, it's honest as we can yep. be. What do you think this says about those of us men who are willing to conquer the world but not our own house? Yeah. Willing to go out and do whatever it takes to move mountains, but yet don't want to fix the things at home and the things you can see are just inherently wrong there, obviously. It's, have a preach, brother. What are you doing Sunday? Listening to you. <laughs> I mean, you're absolutely right. David never lost a battle that he really fought on the battlefield. But if you look at him, the man is a genius. Tactical, strategic, he gets out there, he wins them. Uh, but the ones he doesn't want to fight, he loses. And uh, who cares if you defeated Goliath if you lost your kids? And he loses his kids. You know, he may have preferred one or the other and that, all that kind of stuff, but I have to believe it's still your son. You, 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 you still care. So, God will not forgive the sin we don't want forgiven. He will not help us win the battle we don't want to fight. So, other questions? Comments? You guys are great. Think about uh, having two kids, not having a favorite. You know, I almost wonder if it isn't more of a reflection of how he felt about their moms a little bit. <laughs> I mean, just being honest. Yeah, yeah. You see, you know, the ones that he was a little more enamored with, he kind of tend to see gravitate toward the tent and the ones that he just kind of like, oh, she was just one of the ones in the hall there, whatever. Which is like we've said, the. They're not condemning polygamy at this point directly, but you see crap like this, right? Multiple wives, you can't feel the same about all of them. But if you notice, David is always in love with the wife at the moment. I mean, he really wants this one. And then everyone with this one, and then with this one, and with this one. So, yeah. And again, Solomon doesn't, well, Solomon does kill a lot of people, but Solomon has the same problem. He's like, oh, I like this one, I like this one. So... It makes them men, makes them us. So, anyway, well, let's pray. Father, our God, we thank you for your presence here today, for the truth that you resound in us. This is hard stuff to read and even harder to live, but we know that you are in this place. There is no sin, whether unfaithfulness or murder, betrayal that you cannot heal. 
It is not easy, you have told us, but you are the God who brings life where there is death, where there is pain, you can truly be healed. Where there is anger, you can bring peace. But Father, we are reminded that you cannot do it, will not do it without us. You are not a magician who waves your hand and fixes all while we sit back and be passive. Help us to learn that if the man after your own heart can struggle so, so can we. Help us to take the path that he did not. Help us to be bold, to be strong. Whether we have to fight on the battlefield or we've got to go home and be the man of our house, be the father, be the one who stops the generational sin. Father God, as we offer these things for ourselves, we do pray for our kids. We know they've been an incredible blessing for us. And we've tried to be good parents. We know also we've failed. Help us to not be afraid to share our failures, but also our successes with our kids. Help us when we see ourselves in them to be strong enough to talk to them about, hey, you need to watch out for this. But we thank you also that you put good in our kids. Some of it from us, but most of it from you. So help us to celebrate that and foster that so that the next generation will be better than we were. Help us. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Grace and peace. Hey, to you too, brother. It's Christ be with you, man. You did all right? Yeah, how about you? You were a little sick last week? A little bit, but I'm...